fellow fiends. Welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And today we are talking about chilly horror movies? I don't know what to say. We're talking about creepy, cold horror films. It's December. We figured why not start with some snow because very few of us actually see snow this time of year. We're what? in Canada and we oh. still don't have snow. I'm just saying that winter doesn't exist anymore, John. Oh, technically not winter yet, actually. Pre-winter. Now that I think about it. Okay, you show me a single Christmas movie that doesn't have some fucking snow in it. But we have two movies that we want to talk about that are perfect for your winter watch list. And neither of them we'd seen previously, which is kind of exciting. So hopefully one or both of them are new to you. I'm going to stop you right there, actually. We've definitely seen one of these one movies. One of them felt a little familiar, but not familiar enough for me to confirm that I had seen it before. It was, yeah, not even on the, it's just kind of a hunch, I guess, right? Like, oh, I've seen the end of this movie. It's really all it was. See, it could have just been like an autoplay YouTube feature where I was watching a trailer and the, the trailer for that movie came on and I didn't oh. choose to see it, but I kind of saw scenes. In the world of infinite content. When does one piece end and another begin? Really. <laughs> Honestly. Exactly. So yeah, the end of that movie did feel pretty familiar, but maybe we should tell them what the titles are. Absolutely. So today we are talking about a found footage film, which is right up our alley, <laughs> obviously. The Devil's Pass. From 2013. And 2006, The Last Winter. Ah, directed by Larry Fassender. Who, if you're not familiar with his films, and you should be, crazy indie horror director, but you'd probably recognize him as one of the first kills in the beginning of Your Next. He is the neighbor at the opposite cottage who sees the, the words Your Next splattered in blood on his window before he gets a fucking axe in the face. Yeah, he's very creepy in that film. And he's you not, say that! And he's not the villain. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting start to a film because he gives you vibes, but mm. then he's not... Is it just because she seems like she's 20 years younger than him? She definitely is. Yeah. I just assumed that this is the girl that he left his wife for, and now he's living at, like, the family cottage. Maybe. Or he's, like, a teacher sleeping with his student, and he's oh, taking her to the family shit. cottage. Yeah, and he's like, yo, you want to come up to my place, see my five-CD changer? Drink don't some orange juice. <laughs> Maybe get murdered. Yeah, don't worry, we're going to play one song on repeat for days. But, Kim, before we get started, what's keeping you creepy this week? Well, John, as you know, it is December. This is becoming more like a news broadcast every day. <laughs> and thusly, I have been thinking about Christmas movies. Of course you have. But, because I am a horror fan, I have been thinking about how to horrify those Christmas movies. So, last week I wrote an article on the website. If you don't know it, it's nofspodcast.com. And I horrorized famous family Christmas movies. So I took Home Alone, I took Christmas Vacation. What else did I do? Oh, are you kidding me? This is like one of my favorite articles you've ever written. You did Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. You also did Miracle on 34th Street. And another one that's a complete surprise. Did you say Home Alone? I, I did. Santa, Santa Claus. Claus. Tim Allen's Santa Claus. Yeah, so I reimagined all those films as horror movies, and there's some, I would hope, some Christmas surprises in there, some little gifts I left. So check out that article. You can search Christmas horror or just head up. It should be on the homepage still, maybe, but that's at nofspodcast.com. And it's definitely my favorite article thus far of the season. Oh, yeah, reimagining Santa Claus as a body horror? Kind of perfect and exactly what that movie is, just with a different score. I'm honestly expecting a writing job from that post. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think that those were five golden, slightly infringing pitches, but uh, yeah, I think they were all pretty good. The one time a blog post <laughs> has essentially become a pitch meeting? Exactly. That works. Yeah. <laughs> On top of that, we also got a cool care package from one of our patrons. Thank you so much, Leonard, for the candy and the DVDs. We watched Pool Party Massacre the other day with copious amounts of vodka. 
And I do think that is the absolute way to see this movie. I think it's a requirement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there is... Okay, first off, uh, it's exactly what you think it is. It, there's kind of a pool party? I mean, there are people hanging around a pool drinking. There is definitely a massacre. Uh, a girl gets killed in the shower with a weed whacker? This movie goes all kinds of places. Would that work in the shower? Whatever. <laughs> um, it's weird, though. Like, the film was... <laughs> terribly fun and terrible mm -hmm. but fun but i found myself wanting more pool party there was no pool party it was a bunch of catty bitches going we can't get wet yeah none, none of us can get wet <laughs> it felt like a waiting room of death they were all just <laughs> waiting to die individually they all take turns going into the house like i'm gonna mix drinks i'm gonna jerk off i'm, I'm gonna, gonna have die. a shower yeah, i'm gonna die yeah i wanted i don't know a little 50 cent on the radio i wanted maybe a balloon or a beach ball being popped around oh i'm sorry was horse the band not enough for you you know you're not a big uh you're not a big fan of horse the band no side note horse the band i know it's not necessarily your genre is this of a music. real thing this is a real band okay they have an entire album about pizza I agree. I spent a lot of high school listening to Horse the Band. What? Horse the Band, first of all, is an awful name. <laughs> oh, but Portugal the Man is fine? I like that. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like the Wicker Man, but from Portugal. Is it have a, do you know what it means? or Horse the Band? No, Portugal the Man. <laughs> oh, they like the idea of having a name of a country as the name of the band. And to signify that it wasn't... I think the story is like, hey, we're I called Portugal. I already Portu hate this. I know. It's like, <laughs> we're Portugal. And like, you mean the country? Like, no, the man. <laughs> like a dumb side Why wouldn't they comment. be Portugal the band? I guess they didn't like the sound of it. Look, I'm not these guys. I'm upset now. They're from Alaska, Kim. It's okay. <laughs> what? They're not even from Portugal? No, none of them are. Oh, my God. And I think only the main, the like, the lead singer is from Alaska. What? <laughs> Who learns music in Alaska? Well, I, him from his hippie parents. I think they live in like a cottage in the middle of nowhere, and they like they make their own clothes and stuff. That and... sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a fucking nightmare. What are you talking no, about? That sounds great. You want to make your own clothes and your own maple syrup and chop your own wood for the. F I'm like selling myself. Are you like? It sounds yeah. <laughs> it sounds okay for a winter, but never again. Like once. Yeah, but it's always a winter. Okay, I can't go two sunrises on a 3G connection. There's no way I'm going to live in the middle of the woods in Alaska. I wouldn't survive. I'm ready. <laughs> I already bought snowshoes while you were talking. <laughs> God damn you, Amazon Prime. You've won again. <laughs> All right, John, get to hear what's keeping you creepy because we're being weird. Okay, other than that, I want to give a big shout out to Brian on Patreon. Thank you so much for your monthly pledge, Brian. If we were stuck in the middle of the wilderness, no igloo to keep warm, and all we had were a few twigs and a fire, I'd share my coat with you. We'd both have one boot. Who cares if we both lose a foot? It's okay. We're not gonna let hypothermia win. It's you and us against the elements, Brian. Where am I in this story? Back home and warm. You're at the ski lodge. The woman in that movie was not back home and warm. She was trying to defend herself from ravens eating her eyeball. Okay, we'll get to it in a minute. But yeah, you got some work to do. Brian, it's okay. It's you and me against the elements and the ghosts. We're going to deal with it. It's all right. We're at least going to be warm. And between the two of us, we've got a pair of feet. Oh. Thank you again, Brian. This show would be a nightmare without you. That was so nice. <laughs> Let's talk about some movies. First up, The Last Winter from 2006. talk you and me we don't need the others i'm not gonna sign something just because you need me to that's the wrong answer the world we grew up in is changed forever there is no way home what's happening what do you say about it it's coming up from the ground Ghosts. Currently sitting at a 5.6 out of 10 on IMDb, a 76% on Rotten Tomatoes. If you haven't seen The Last Winter, this is written, directed, produced, and starring Larry Fassenden. Like a lot of Arctic films, like the critically acclaimed The Thing and the critically panned Whiteout, this is set in the Arctic. We are at a research facility and we are essentially drilling for oil. This is the crew that has gone out to more or less scout the area to see if it's environmentally friendly to actually drill for that oil. Lo and behold, there are some secrets out in that snow. 
Yeah, I did not see this film. I don't think I even heard about this film. It was not on my radar at all. Mm -hmm. That's probably solely because of the acclaim of The Thing. I think it kind of owns that winter territory horror film. You have to be very, very light. You have to step very lightly around The Thing if you're going to be successful setting a film in the Arctic. Interesting. Don't you agree? I think a lot of people probably didn't see this film. Not on, like, like out of retaliation or anything, but... Like, oh, I've seen it. Exactly. Like, this is very similar in that it's kind of like a blue-collar guy in the Arctic fighting some unknown. That's true. Because, essentially, you cannot go away. It's almost like the home invasion genre, right? You're trapped in a bunker... More or less, you can't escape because the outside elements or, you know, people out there will kill you. And that is totally true about this. If you go outside for a long enough period of time without the without the proper clothing, you'll die. Like, the elements alone force you to stay in one location, and it kind of creates this cabin fever setting where it's you against everybody else yeah, in well, that setting. And a lot of the, not the flaw, but a lot of the drawback in writing a successful horror is how to trap your characters in the problem. Mm. Because there's this fine line between being filled with too much exposition and then you don't believe it, or being not plausible enough, and then your characters should have just left already. Yeah. And that's the whole point of the of horror is the rising action. Like, it's supposed to get worse and worse and worse and worse, but if your characters can escape, then you have no horror movie. And throw it in the fucking Arctic with isolation and literally no escape, and you have a great setting for a horror film. So I'm always down with really cold horror movies, winter horror movies, horror movies set in the Arctic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, I, I even found myself at some points watching it being like, mm, I really want to watch The Thing right now. And right. I just seen The Thing 15 days ago. Literally 15 days ago. <laughs> so it's a struggle. I think The Thing was so successful that it's really, really hard to follow in its footsteps. And I think the idea of this film is really good. It's got a really interesting message that is true to horror's namesake in that it's got a real-life meaning behind it. Mm -hmm. And it uses that classic horror paranormal element to tell the story. But it's telling, like, a legitimate issue about global warming. Yeah. Which, so is the thing, too, but... Uh, what? Is the thing really talking about global warming? Kinda. If humans didn't go where they weren't supposed to, or if they weren't melting the ice caps, that thing wouldn't have gotten out, and then shit would have been fine for another 100,000 years. I mean, that's a really good point. In terms of having an escape and confined and knowing that there's there's no way out, there's something brilliant in this movie that I, I remember pointing out to you as we were watching it. This is genius writing. I absolutely love this. I'm so glad this is here. Ron Perlman, and by the way, like I kind of pride myself as the person that will watch any Ron Perlman movie because the guy can kind of do no wrong. I'm surprised I've never heard of this movie. He fires the ecological surveyor that they've brought in to basically say, yes, it's safe to drill here. This character is all that stands between Ron Perlman and his company making a shit ton of money and providing oil, you know, to the rest of the world. He fires this guy because he's unwilling to sign a report that says, yeah, go ahead, everything's cool, you know, nothing bad's gonna happen from drilling here, and a plane is coming in the next few days to take him away back home because he's no longer needed. I thought that was fucking brilliant because immediately we have an escape. It's coming. Either they're all going to die or at least face certain death before that plane arrives or something's going to happen that's going to stop that plane from taking off, right? Mm -hmm. I just, I love the idea that we know, we at, at this point we already know something's not right. Something is amiss in the camp. But an escape route is possible and it's on its way. So it's, it's either there's this ticking clock to escape or there's this ticking clock to an, like a huge problem that's about to happen. That's a good point. I don't think I even recognize that. I do want to talk briefly on you, your mentioning of Ron Perlman. I normally am really down for Ron Perlman. I think he's a really interesting actor. And that might just be entirely because he's got such interesting facial features and body proportions. But, you know, got him Hellboy. Did a really great job with that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I liked him in this. And I think oh, yeah? it's because I just didn't like the the character. He's playing this kind of hot-headed, very... I don't want to say egotistical, but he's definitely... Everything is a representation of him yeah, as he's a, a leader. He's, yeah, he's the big wolf on campus. Like, this is this is his 
But he kind of came off, especially with his decision making and his barking of orders and just how rash and the decisions he made, he came off like a raging alcoholic. Well, totally, yeah. He spends a lot of time drunk in this. And I think that's because maybe he's out of power. Like, he doesn't have, he doesn't have the control that he normally does. Mm -hmm. So he just starts drinking. Uh, That's probably just something that he does to sort of deal with that stress, but... He seems like the kind of guy who, like, everything goes right because I say so and everything's going to be fine and let's not think about the consequences. Yeah. He's probably the, the closest representation to us as people in this this problem uh, regarding global warming. My only thought was that I think he was just a little too unlikable that we mm. spent for how long he we followed him through the movie and how long he guided the team. I think we needed to see a few more scenes with him where we understood him a little better or at least sympathized with him a little bit because he was a little too gruff for me like I just didn't like him the entire time and for somebody written like that you'd expect him to die in the first or the second scene of the film you know what I mean (laughs) he just didn't get a lot of weight put on the other side we were just supposed to not like him because he was barking orders but I mean ultimately what went down was a representation of him. He was the boss. So he's the Mm -hmm. one under the most strain there. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to think he's an asshole. And then in the thick of things, when people start dying, actually sympathize with him because he's just trying to make the best decision to keep everybody alive. So it's interesting you say that because I do see that in him. He definitely takes this one kid's death very personally. Uh, The first person to die who more or less just kind of walks out into the snow naked after... Seeing some shit. (laughs) Well, yeah, they they can't find him for a while. And just as they're going out, he's been outside for hours and hours and hours. Just as they're leading this expedition to go hunt for him, he comes walking through the door. And he's kind of catatonic. He has this sort of ominous, like, you don't know what's out there, it's coming for us kind of uh, monologue. And when they find his body, he's his eyes have been pecked out by crows, and he's just like this decrepit, frozen beast of a person. Pers- in the snow. Person cube. Yeah, he's a person cube, <laughs> as, as they're known. A personicle popsicle. I don't know. He's a person popsicle. Pops a person. There we go. Ron Perlman takes that really deeply. It's a hard hitting moment for him, and especially since he says that he's known this kid. Since he was a child. I think he knows his dad personally. And it really affects him, which we see later in the movie. He he actually hallucinates that kid in the snow and it like he breaks down crying. But the, there's two scenes in particular that really stand out to me in terms of like the weakness in Ron Perlman and Ron Perlman's character. There's a scene where he gets very drunk and he's kind of just standing outside this one woman's door, kind of begging to come in because like he needs to feel big again like he needs somebody to want him uh and it doesn't happen because she's actually with the the ecological surveyor anyway clearly she's had no interest in him she's actually the first person that he goes to see when he arrives at the camp and he like gives her a big hug and like they have this big talk and you could tell that there's some history behind them but when things really go south right before they basically have to abandon camp ron perlman wets the fucking bed in the middle of the night like he totally pisses his bed and it's this humiliating moment for him. All he can really do is is admit that he's not as strong a person as he thought he was. When you say it like that, it sounds great and stuff, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't see any growth, though. Okay. Because he wets his bed, and then the next night we see him just sleeping on the floor. Like, he didn't deal with it. <laughs> see, that's what I love about it. The fact that he didn't deal with it. He's the kind of person who would say, like, fuck whatever the measurements actually are and whether or not this is actually safe. We're going to go through with it because it's a good idea. Rather than solving the problem, he just takes the easy way out. Sure. We'll get back to how I feel about him in the final scenes. Okay. So, the first kid dies. Obviously, something creepy is happening. We're kind of following the team as they keep the status quo going, despite this kid dying. They think that sour gas is to blame. Yeah, I probably should have looked this up. Is sour gas a thing? I don't know, but basically what they think is that because of global warming, that there's cracks, obviously, in the Earth's surface at that altitude. What do you even go? No, you don't call it altitude at that... Um, area of the earth. <laughs> okay. 
the, that latitude longitude. Sure. <laughs> and that seeping through is this sour gas that is causing them to hallucinate. And now, is obviously like, is it poisoning them in some way? So they think at first they're not too concerned about it, but then the one guy starts getting these nosebleeds and they start getting progressively worse. And then he kind of bleeds out one day in his bed. He slits his wrists, I think. No, I think he bleeds out. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I thought he killed himself. I think he just bled out. Well, goddamn. That's weird. How come nobody else bled out? Well, um, shit, I thought he killed himself. I thought he just... Well, he had... Why would he have all those nosebleeds? And then they, if he was going to kill himself, they should have had him hang himself to be more clear. Johnny had nosebleeds the whole first half of the movie. That's a really good point. I never thought of that. He definitely bled out. Huh. Okay. My mistake. You're probably right. I think he probably bled out. I think Ron Perlman's saying, Ron Perlman's character is saying that sour gas is impossible because it's more or less like however many miles below the crust of the earth and it, there's like a layer of it or a pocket of it. Like it's not something that necessarily escapes or leaks up. Like I think it's something that happens from drilling, but uh, they haven't drilled yet. On the other hand, there is a pilot hole that they've drilled previously, which I think is very integral to the, the plot of the movie, that is... The reason they're back. Previously in the '80s, they drilled. They said, "Oh, we, we, we can't, we we can't take oil here." But now, based on some sort of bureaucratic masterpiece, they're back in the the early 2000s, and now it's safe all of a sudden. <laughs> so they're back for oil, and that drill is essentially what tapped into a layer of either sour gas or ghosts. <laughs> Spoiler, it's ghosts. <laughs> Can we talk for a minute about how brilliant of an idea this is? So, this was my... Before I even saw the film, this was my opinion. And after seeing the film, it still stands. I think it is an amazing idea for a ghost story. I think it's really fucking cool. It's a great setting for a ghost story. I don't think it works for film. Damn. I don't oh, think it I could possibly work for film. For that to be a thing, you have to have this big reveal at the end, which I think they tried to do. They were very ambiguous about the ghost thing, but it's kind of lame visually to see a herd of dinosaurs running like ghosts. In fiction, you can convey it really poetically and it be this really beautiful, haunting story. But horror fans seeing that would feel a little bait and switched with it being dinosaur ghosts. It seems like the most natural place to get ghosts, though. Like, fossil fuels Sounds are called great. fossil fuels because it's it's essentially like the dead animals over thousands and of years I think that have turned to oil. I think it's awesome, but it's also a little bit silly to see. I agreed. You're right. It would probably play better in a book because your imagination can fill in the details, right? Exactly. When you can be really, like, eloquent about it, and I, there's this um, space between you seeing the ghosts of dinosaurs and you seeing the ghosts of dinosaurs. Oh, but the idea that the oil itself, which is thanks to de like dead things from a millennia ago, are ghosts are contained in there. Like the spirit of the animal or the spirit of the, the being is held within that oil and by tapping into it, we are releasing those ghosts. That is fucking incredible. I think it's fabulous. I think it's an amazing concept. Yeah, I come from a family of like construction workers and... I never get tired of them of hearing them say, like, yeah, I gotta bring the truck into the station, gotta put some dinosaurs in the tank. <laughs> Fucking love hearing that. I laugh every time. I've never heard that. On the other hand, though, that's not necessarily, like, a big reveal at the end of the movie. We kind of get that idea halfway through. We come across, you know, some, some abandoned notebooks of the previous people that were there at the drilling camp. And the notebooks essentially say, like, what if we've brought about these ghosts and these beings? I can hear them, yada yada. This is the last winter. It seems like such a cool fucking idea for a movie. Like, every year, there is an apocalypse movie. There is an end of the world. All of a sudden, global warming is fucking, like, hundreds of tornadoes and hurricanes. With sharks in them. Everything. Yeah, exactly, right? Just all of it <laughs> happening at once. This is the movie that happens before those movies. And rather than seeing the destruction and the end of the world, we just see the cause of it. But at no point is, is a news reporter going to be standing in, in Times Square going like well unfortunately the ghosts have come and they're destroying the earth it would just be like oh the polar ice caps are melting we're all dead but nobody knows deep down that it's actually this vengeful ancient spirit that is 
seeking revenge for what we've done to the environment. Yeah. I think it's still pretty ambiguous, though. I mean, if you hadn't spoiled the movie for me before we watched it. Um... <laughs> okay, so I read a synopsis out loud. I'm uh, sorry. The, the fact that they present the sour gas option you they could very well have been going crazy the entire time but i knew that they weren't but mm -hmm. i mean it was a plausible alternative totally it could just as easily be cabin fever it could be sour gas poisoning it could be ghosts it's... it could be ghosts right I... <laughs> you just say that in casual conversation every time my parents are trying to fix like an electrical problem from now on have you checked like, the ghosts yeah have you checked the ghosts <laughs> have you seen if they're all right have you burned an offering for them <laughs> So, second guy dies, they all decide that they're going to go to the local town, which is like friggin' 15, 30 miles away, to all just get checked up and make sure they're not being poisoned by this gas. Mm -hmm. And the helicopter comes, and what happens to the helicopter? Because it explodes. <laughs> okay, well, first off, not a helicopter. More of a plane. Oh, whatever. Uh, the, the plane comes in and crashes. I think the compasses screw up. They don't realize how low they are, and all of a sudden, blam, they've smashed into the campsite. Um, actually, fun fact, Larry Fassenden is, is that one of those guys that gets burned alive. I don't know who the other pilot is, but uh, Pilot Ricky, we'll call him. Ricky burns up. It's really unfortunate. Everybody's heartbroken Sorry, about Ricky. it. But they're not familiar with this other guy. <laughs> they're just like, oh, let's give him a fucking EpiPen or some morphine or something. And then half, like, five or ten minutes later, like, oh, this guy died, by the way. But we got bigger fish to fry. Yeah, Ron Perlman in the Ecological Surveyor. I wish I remembered his name. Pretty sure he's in an episode of Fear the Walking Dead. Anyway, they go off. Yeah, they're headed to that next town. But Ron Perlman's so hot-headed that he doesn't want to like, go. no, we're going to go to the construction site. And then the guy's like, no, our next town. And he's like, construction site. And then they fight for the entire time. Yeah. They take the snowmobile out. They drive to the construction site, which has been abandoned. There's still, like, a centipede. What do you call those things? Caterpillar. <laughs> and a truck. <laughs> Neither of them turn on. So they're like, fuck. And then they go to turn on the snowmobile and then they're like, fuck. Yeah, and they're like, been... snow oil in it so that they just <laughs> walk. <laughs> I love the way that you synopsize films. <laughs> fuck. Oh, God. It's like you walked out of the room, came back, and like, ah, I don't know, some stuff happened. This thing's not working. They're in the snow. <laughs> it's effective. So they're walking in the snow. Yeah, Ron Perlman falls through the ice. And this other oh, guy yeah. is so fucking nice. He pulls him out, saves his goddamn life. Makes him a boot. <laughs> and makes him a boot. Yeah, makes him a fire so he doesn't die. And here is something brilliant about Ron Perlman's character. Ron Perlman finally warms back up. His clothes are dry. He's ready to go. And he goes, all right, here's what we're going to do. You're going to give me your boot. And I'm going to go, and this is what's going to happen. And the guy's just like, no, I'm not going to give you my boot. First of all, I made you this boot. That's really unthoughtful of you to not take my gift. I spent all day on it in the dark. <laughs> and you say no to me? Merry Christmas, sir. But after some fighting, they basically just get up and start walking toward the next village, which is, like, right over the hill. They can practically see it. Of course, everybody else that they've encountered have been dead oh yeah they've encountered some dead bodies along the way yeah more or less like the trucker and the construction workers who were supposed to be there but everybody's dying we can see that this spirit... why didn't he take that guy's boot that's a really good point why didn't he take his boot maybe yeah. it's disrespectful what you don't take a dead man's you boots. can take a pop a pops a person's boot if you want i don't know kim they die in their boots you gotta let them you're haunted the by the ghost of dinosaurs and the ghost of an angry trucker give me my boot <laughs> you imagine if somebody stole the boots from the guy on, on Everest? Somebody probably has. No. They're markers. Yeah, that doesn't mean somebody hasn't drawn a twirly mustache on one of them in the snow. <laughs> I'm sure if I'm sure if somebody did something as disrespectful as that. <laughs> yeah, disrespectful quite... and hilarious as that. It is quite disrespectful. I'm sure it would be a Twitter moment. I'm sure I would find out about it. I don't know. I don't think they would take a photo of that. You know the reason I will never climb Everest? Because ever, you're out ever, of shape. <laughs> well, there's that, first of all. But, you know, like, uh, 50 years from now, I'm in great shape because future me will uh, obviously power take sauce, it. I yeah. Oh, power sauce. I need the power sauce. Homer, it's just apples and newspaper. But I will never climb Everest because half of the markers where it's like, oh, turn left here, turn right here, go straight ahead, make camp here, are dead bodies. 
fun. That's fucked up. It's morbid, but it's fun. Well, it's morbid, and the fact I so I, I totally understand why they're still there and why you can't really bring them back down because it's just fucking impossible. But if anybody was giving me directions to their house and they said, "Oh, so there's a few like there's a pile of dead kittens here, gonna want to hang a left. Avoid it. Don't worry. <laughs> Turn right at the corpse. Yeah, we all know it's getting gross. And if you smelly. hit the booster juice, you've gone too far." <laughs> If those are the directions, there's no way I'm going to your haunted house party. Of course, if it was called a haunted house party, I'd probably turn a blind eye. So if there was a haunted house party at the top of Mount Everest, you would not try to go? What if there was a Booster Juice at the top of Mount Everest? <laughs> would you try and go? Probably. Yeah, what is with you and Booster Juice? It's really good. You get the same thing every time. You can't eat... So it, uh... I'm a creature of habit. <laughs> Delicious habit. <laughs> So, let's end this fucking movie. Ron Perlman ends up being an ass as true to his character, and he just, like, fucks off in the snow and leaves that guy alone with a radio, which is nice, but not nice at all. And Ron Perlman disappears. The guy wakes up. He's alone. Mm -hmm. They have this big romantic monologue between him and... Abby, the girl at the camp. But he does meet back up. They're alone now because everybody died there too. Right? So yeah, one of the guys just like fucking took off. The other woman smothered a dude with the pillow before. um... And I think she was the medical aid. Like I think she was the one with the medical training and she definitely killed somebody. But she went fucking nuts. Yeah. And she was kind of like a voice of reason. Like she she understood it. And she was like the calm, nice one. (laughs) Yeah, like the, the Inuits have a name for it apparently. It's when a good person goes wrong, I think is what she said. Or when a, when a normal person acts funny. It's essentially like she's trying to describe cabin fever, but it's like a spirit that enters you. The spirit of the Wendigo, more or less. Fun fact, Larry Fassenden has a film about the Wendigo. Is it set in the Arctic? Uh, probably. I do know that it's called Wendigo. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it, actually. I thought the Wendigo lived in the woods. No, I think it's typically like an Arctic thing. Oh. And it, having not really read it a whole lot, I always thought it regarded cannibalism. Where, like, a group of people who resort to cannibalism or, like, a person who, rather than dying with their friend, kills their friend to stay alive, inhabits the soul of the Wendigo. And now they're more or less like a vampire. Like, they have to go around eating people to stay alive. That's fun. Because they did it once, it is now their curse. I know very little about it. The film ends in a strange way. I feel like there's a scene missing. Because the the nurse who the last person to survive the camp she hears the death of the ecological surveyor on the radio who's more or less taken away by these ghosts yeah so we need to talk about that scene so ron perlman has the flare gun mm-hmm. and this giant it's not it's not like a woolly mammoth it's like a woolly mammoth deer yeah is about to eat the one guy and he has the option of either shooting him with the flare or shooting the flare up to alert the town that they're very close to. Yeah. And he decides to shoot it upwards. Mm -hmm. He shoots it upwards and then the woolly mammoth ghost comes after him. Yeah. And then the woolly mammoth ends up getting both of them. Yeah. And then they're dead. They're dead. But the nurse back at the camp wakes up. Is she in a different place? Like have people come to save her? Yeah, so she wakes up And I think she's been rescued at this point, and she's been taken back to the town to the clinic that they were all going to go to. Okay. But the... Soul survivor style. Yeah, the clinic is completely empty. There's nobody there. Except for a dude who's hung himself. The doctor's hung himself in his office. But why? Something on the news is talking about, like, natural disasters and la la la. She steps outside. We don't get to see anything because the camera is just on her. I think it looks great. And you assume that the world is ending. Yeah, it's like a crane shot that's pulling up from her. All we can see, first off, we're in the fucking Arctic. Everything is frozen. She is standing in, like, two feet of water. Everything is melting. We hear cracking. We hear crumbling. Like, mountains are breaking. The tectonic plates are shifting. Shit is going down. But, again, yeah, none of it. But it is very low-key. It's very indie. Yeah. You get an unsettling sense that this is the beginning of the end of the world. Credits. I don't like this as an apocalypse film. I would have done without her being rescued completely. I would have liked... I thought it would have been darker had she have just 
died of starvation alone with those crows. Maybe, but... Or I, maybe I, the fucking dark shit is she eats one of those fucking burp guys and becomes the Wendigo herself. What? Mm-hmm. Shared universe. Yep. I don't know. I like the idea that there is a person to witness it. Because, like, there is horror in that moment where you understand what's happening before you die. Like, it's I, inevitable. I like it just being a ghost story, though. Like, the Arctic is haunted. Sure. And not that they've unleashed this evil that's gonna... But it's the last winter! I know, but... I, see, that's what... I like it better as a haunted house movie. All right. I got it. And I, less I of a Armageddon movie. Yeah. Before we close out and get ratings, though, there is one scene that I want to call attention to, which is just absolutely fucking genius. And it's what—it's when we're still in that moment where we're not sure whether it's ghosts or whether it's it's poison or it's cabin fever where a character is walking down the hall and the hall seems to go forever. And the hall gets tighter and tighter and tighter as he walks through it. And there is just such a deep sense of unease as he goes that you're there with him and like it's like the walls in your room are getting tighter around there. I just I think it's done so brilliantly. And it's shots like that that really made me wish that there were more of it in the movie. Like, there were some great shots. There were some awesome scenes where, like, characters are, like, perfectly in the center of the frame. And it's like Wes Anderson directed a horror movie all of a sudden. But then then there are some other shots that are sort of just on the fly. For the sake of action or... Yeah. Yeah, it's like it turns off and turns on. Kind of film to movie. Film to movie. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very different movie. I did enjoy it, though. I'm curious to see how you rate it. I actually surprisingly liked the film. I liked the setup. I really liked how it was shot. I loved the ambiguity of it. But I think the ending really fizzled for me. Sure. I'm going to give it a two out of four. If it had ended better, I probably would have been a three or a three and a half. Yeah, see, I I genuinely liked that ending. I will say that I I didn't love it. I loved how it was done. I thought it was presented great. And, you know, if it was for budgetary reasons, like we couldn't really necessarily show it, um, I think it was done great. But I also think it was just a perfect choice. I don't actually want to see all that destruction because that's a different movie. This is like a a movie before a movie. But I'm not really going to go much higher than you. I'm going to give us a 2.5. I do think it's worth watching. I think you guys should seek it out. Yeah, I was definitely pleasantly surprised with it. And as I said, I think it's a really amazing concept. Mm -hmm. I would love to see something like this adapted for horror fiction yeah maybe where it's more it's more vague throughout more of the movie like right at the end we find out ghosts in the oil yeah and you would get a lot too you could you could weave in a lot of the aboriginal folklore and stuff and the traditional like inuit beliefs in that area you can't really convey that too much in a horror movie without it sounding just like exposition but in a novel, you, all you got is exposition, so, like, load it in there. <laughs> yeah, it's your bread and butter. Yeah. So, yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised with it. I just... And also, too, like, 2006, seeing a big giant mammoth deer thing, ghost coming at you, like, it's just... Maybe if you had have seen this movie in 2006, it would have resonated better. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. I'm surprised that we hadn't seen it, but... Yeah, me too, actually. Here we are. Moving on, let's talk about The Devil's Pass. <laughs> 53 years ago, nine people set up camp in the Ural Mountains in Russia. It had become known as the Dyatlov Pass incident. Are you scared? No. We're recreating a trip in which nine people died. Yeah, what, like 50 years ago? Time to go. Come look at this! What is it? The GPS is all screwed up. We should just leave. By the time we get packed up and get moving, we're going to be hiking in the dark. From 2013, currently sitting at a 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb, a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 49% Metacritic rating. So first off, found footage movie. Whoop! Immediately, right? <laughs> Just like, okay, cool, don't care. I, I get it. I can skip the first 10 minutes. No problem. And true to the genre, the first 10 minutes, fucking garbage. They weren't garbage. Oh, sure. We had to talk about, like, I'm a history student, and I'm teamed up with my filmmaker buddy, and we're both here to talk about this mysterious thing, and we're going to be talking on these cameras to you people at home. Blah, you blah, see, blah, blah. I like to be lulled into a movie, Jonathan. Uh, and you, know, you no, 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 are not stop. a true found footage fan if you, know you, you can't like? appreciate the entire trope of the subgenre. Okay. 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 I, I, see, <laughs> I see your... 
tropes of the subgenre, and I raise you, I need ten minutes to stay on my phone while this movie warms up before I get invested in I it. didn't mind it. <laughs> it sets the tone, you're introduced to your characters, and you know who's a good actor and who's a bad actor. Spoiler alert, the lead girl's not a great actor. She looks exactly like Clara Danes, and it bugged me the whole movie. I don't know who that is. She definitely sounds like she's trying to mask a not-American accent. You're right. The That's, entire film. She really film. drops her R's all over over the place. Yeah, and you're like, some words have R and some of them don't. I tried to find photos of her. I tried to look at her IMDb page, and all of the photos on her IMDb page are mostly from this movie. Like, it's not even headshots. It's stills from this movie. Oh, well, good for her for getting a lead at her first run in it. Right. <laughs> yeah, so it's found footage. If you haven't seen it, it's not a huge surprise. It came out in 2013. I hadn't seen it. I'm glad that we watched it, though. I love a good and a bad found footage, so it didn't really matter how this ended up. I would have had a fun time watching it. That's true. So we follow a group of college kids who've gotten a grant to go and investigate, although who the fuck is giving grants for people to go to Russia? But they get a grant to go and film slash investigate the Devil's Pass incident. It's got a Russian name, and I'm not even going to try to say it. Do you have it written down? Can I look at it? DL Dialtov Pass, the Dyatlov Dyatlov Pass. That sounds familiar. I, I probably butchered it. But nine hikers. This is a true story. Nine hikers went missing in the fifties. Fifty nine, I think. Okay. And they were all found yards, varying yards away from their camp. Some of them, or all of them, completely naked, frostbitten. None of them had signs of struggle. They think that basically they had all come down with this, like, mass hypothermia. Mm -hmm. And when you get hypothermia severely, you burn up and you get that well, instinct. Well, you, you get the impression that you're burning up. But... They were all hikers, so one of them, like, they had to have... It's just a very confusing mystery, because... Yeah, we're you unsure think of why they died, at least, how they died. Yeah, at least one of them would have been sensible enough to be like, no, this is not a good idea, we should go in our tents and light a fire. Well, from what I understand in the movie, uh, I have not necessarily... I mean, like, I've read Reddit posts on this true case. It seems like two of them died just sitting by the fire. So I think two of them were trying to keep warm, and the other seven were more like yeah like they were within yards three of them were together over by like a creek two of them were over here one of them was in this spot but it seems like there's no rhyme or reason it's almost just like in their last few moments they tried to walk away but not toward the bottom of the hill like just kind of in all directions yeah uh, sounds terrifying i haven't unfortunately i haven't read up on it recently maybe this is why i won't hike everest <laughs> that in the stomach maybe <laughs> what like food just that I'm out of shape. <laughs> oh, I was like, you don't want to eat space food? Because it yeah. looked pretty fun. When I can see my feet again, maybe I'll consider it. So they all head to Russia. We spend a couple nights with them kind of in town first. They're looking to find the one lone survivor of the incident who left the first night. I think I don't know why he left. This has to be the, like the, the part of scared or whatever. Yeah, this is definitely fictionalized. But they find out that he's in a mental hospital, so they go there, and of course... They burn, they're not let in, and it's really shady. But, oh, there's a mysterious person in the window at the mental institution with a sign written for us. I'm sure the whole movie, like, yeah, I, I really think that that was the guy we were supposed to see. This movie would not move forward without wild assumptions. <laughs> this entire film is based on wild assumptions. <sighs> wild wild assumptions. Crazy assumptions. What is the message he even leaves them? I think like, he get says, the fuck out or whatever? Basically, yeah. It's it's um, something along the lines of stay away or, or go back or whatever. Yeah, do not enter, more or less. So that ends up being fruitless. And then the guy that offers them a ride at the bar ends up having... Is it his mom was one of the res rescue team? Yeah. Cruise at they the go original in, 1959 incident. Yeah, they go into the bar and they say, oh, we're, we're going up to the Devil's Pass. We're going to recreate this this trip that these people took. And they make them take a drink. And some stranger goes, oh, you're going up there, eh? I can give you a ride. And they're all super happy about that. I'm in a country that I've never heard of. I'm in a dive bar in the middle of nowhere. And some dude goes, I can give you a ride. At what point do you not think this guy's a serial killer? John, that's essentially how Uber works. But at least with... <laughs> <laughs> At least with Uber, there's, like, there's registration, there's information, there's a course they have to yeah, take. Yeah, but is there really? So, the woman they talk to 
insists that there was 11 people they found. Instead of nine. Despite the fact that all the history books, textbooks, and police reports say nine. So John and I, with our notebooks, write down 11 people, not nine. Star, 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 star. Yeah, star, 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 star. Our two main characters are probably those other two. <laughs> so they end up at Devil's Pass pretty quickly. They can only camp one night. They hear some crazy noises. There's footprints outside, but they're too big to be human footprints, so they're clearly Yeti footprints. Ugh. So they go on this weird side adventure where they end up at a weather tower, and there's a tongue in it or something. Weather. But oh, You don't right. really see anything. And then there's a really cool moment where some guy's having a little freak out, and then our main character with her, her weird American accent is trying to calm him by being like, I'm meant to be here. It's fate. I dreamed about it so many times. And then there are these, like, two white things run across the background. I don't think you're supposed to notice that. Looks amazing. I... Probably just somebody on the set's dogs that they were like, run! <laughs> I think it's supposed to be like that moment at the end of Cloverfield where something falls from the sky into the ocean. And, and like, you're you like, don't... oh my god, 12th yeah. viewing, I finally saw it! Yeah, I've cracked the goddamn code. Thank god I stayed awake for days, drank nothing but Mountain Dew. I'm here! Clover was a baby! <laughs> yeah, but the whole time we, we, we saw it first viewing. But thinking about it in retrospect, like when we were watching, I was like, this is really awesome. And that moment really turned me into the film and I was really paying attention. Does not make sense. Does not make sense. Not ma- does not make yetis, sense whatsoever. So there's yetis and then there's also maybe Russian spy science shit happening or the yeti, like... How about we come back to this moment okay. in a little bit? Let's okay. Keep, let's keep walking through We're this. moving on. So just put a footnote in yetis. We're moving on. We've got enough bagged, dehydrated chili and mac and cheese to last us at least a fortnight. <laughs> So they end up at Devil's Pass really fast. I thought this was going to be a journey kind of film. It's not. They make it there the second day. They set up camp. But they do point out that we should not be here yet. Like, according to our GPS, we walked, like, 40 miles today. It said really weird, though, John. They're talking about, like, oh, yeah, the the tents are already set up. They're talking about how the devices aren't working and they can't use the GPS and the coordinates aren't right. And then briefly, he is like, we shouldn't be here yet. You should have said that when we fucking got here. Yeah. I think it was when she was like, hey, wait a minute, guys, we're here. Like, she recognized it from photograph. Well, no, he was like, good thing you recognized it because none of our GPS is working. We could have been walking forever. Yeah, whatever. They're they there. They just sound like they're flying by the seat of their fucking pants. Like, we're going to get an A. Well, it sounds like <laughs> this guy's way more interested in date raping girls in his tent than he is in actually getting them where they need to go. Yeah. Because... There's a really uncomfortable moment where they discuss the what is it, his the, thing like the hike hookup. What did he call it? I the mountain know. hookup. I don't know the tent hookup or the sleeping bag hookup. Base camp hookup. I don't know. Yo, you free basing tonight? Ew. Free basing's a drug. Thing. Isn't that when you jump off a cliff without? I think that is a term for with jumping like off those a cliff. like flying squirrels. No, I think free basing is where you jump off an area that's not supposed to be jumped off. Like you jump off a bridge on a, with a parachute. That's oh, free basing. I thought that was the the flying squirrel. It's also where you do heroin and cocaine. I think, or where do you smoke heroin? It's a drug thing that I don't understand because I don't really do it's drugs. It's a combination of things that you should not be consuming. <laughs> what what's consuming together? Yeah, somebody should start a millennial. A secret society called the Free Basins. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, let's talk about this fucking camp hookup thing because it was so inappropriate and they laughed it off like a film joke. Okay, so two people take off to a tent and he goes, he's a king in the camp hookup, we'll call it that. Yeah. And she, she laughs because it's her friend. Oh, whatever. It's not really her friend. It's a girl that she hired. So it's their audio girl, whoever's holding the boom mic or whatever. Yeah. So whether or not she's her friend or not, only other girl on the thing, this other guy, his camp friend reveals that he films these encounters. That's the weird part. Like, who cares if they hook up? Big fucking deal. The fact that, oh, that's not the worst of it. You expect there to be something funny, but, oh, he's got this camera, that GPS that's got a really great video feature. And she just laughs! And you're like, wait a minute, though. She's like, that's hilarious. I can 100% guarantee you that 70% of those girls... 70? They may 100% be agreeing to have sex with him, but 70% of them would not agree to him filming it in their GPS. On the other hand, we then, because it's found footage, cut to his phone. It's the next morning. He's waking her up. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yo, babe, what's up? Let's make a movie. Like, it sounds like he's... He totally, he's, It sounds yeah. like he's trying to get permission. He but definitely... He's... 
she was definitely aware of the camera a little bit. Her friend, though, not even her friend, this this girl, the, the fake Claire Danes. Fake not American. Alarmed. We're calling her fake America. Okay, Ms. Fake America. <laughs> I have it's... her name if you want it. It's Holly. Wait, she could have been like good girl Greg and at least like tapped on the tapped tent. Tapped on the tent and been like, oh my <laughs> god, I have my snow period. I need your help. Like, yeah. <laughs> it could have been like, by the way, he's going to try to film you. That's what bathroom breaks are really for. And it, secrets. <laughs> which is great. Like girls go to the bathroom, dudes are like, so uh how you been? Oh yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah same. And then they stare at the TV. And, oh, thank God the girls are back. Fuck. <laughs> I don't want to talk to this asshole. <laughs> you do not know how insufferable it is to be in like a couple's date where you don't like the other guy. You're just like, fuck, they went to the bathroom. We are halfway through this movie. Rapey Magoo tries to rape McGee. Yeah, and then boom, avalanche. Yeah. It was really well done. I thought it was really scary. I got really it physically unnerved by it there I mean, is a moment though where a girl rushes toward the camera and shatters the camera and it's not good it's not but the avalanche was decently executed oh yeah totally and what's sinister it was very about creepy it made me realize avalanches are scary oh, i mean i know that. that that's all it took <laughs> and also i never want to be at the bottom of a mountain ever what's sinister about that avalanche though is that you hear explosions before the avalanche goes. So clearly people are triggering this avalanche. Somebody wants them to die. To get smush. Smush. Yeah. Okay. The girl dies in the avalanche, the less important girl. First off, she's completely naked. I, I get it. They hooked up at the top of the mountain. There is no fucking way that happens with minimal clothes. What? It's never gonna... <sighs> Sorry. What? There's no way... You're getting completely naked at the top of a snow mountain. It's never going to get warm enough. 80% of your clothes are on for that, that mountain. <laughs> like, just your nose is out. <laughs> you have the hood pulled so tight. <laughs> she is fully undressed. Like, she flies down that avalanche nude. I didn't even see anything. Well, I mean, it's, it's implied. It's implied, yeah. <laughs> what if that's why they found a bunch of them naked when they died? They were all hooking up and then just like, oh, God, we shouldn't have had sex. We have hypothermia. <laughs> there were nine of them. It was an uneven number. I mean, the 50s were a different era. Maybe it's you had to climb to the top of the mountain love. to have an orgy. Free love on the mountain. The other guy with the GoPro camera, his leg breaks severely, so he's pretty much stuck after this avalanche. That's right. Then these hikers appear, but they don't have packs, so they're instantly suspicious of them. And then, boom. You know what we completely glossed over? Before they set up camp, the main, the two main characters, the filmmaker and the, the, the history, Molly, um, the history, Holly. Holly, the history major, they, they immediately take a detour and they find a fucking door. Oh, yeah. In the side of the mountain. They found a door. <laughs> like, that's terrifying. They don't tell the group. Uh, I don't know why. Like, they There's don't a fucking door in the side of the mountain. They don't want them to want to leave because of a creepy weird door that only locks from the outside. Like, I get it. You don't want to break your camp down in the middle of the night. You know what I also don't want to do? Die in a fucking avalanche. Like, or not even an avalanche. I just don't want science fiction to kill me. <laughs> yeah, it gets a little lost with when they find the door. Oh, so And it locks from the outside. So I already said that. Did you? I wasn't. <laughs> so running away from these Russian guys with guns, they shoot their incapacitated friend. Oh, they so shoot. the three of them are running. The one other explorer guy gets shot in the chest. The only place to go and hide? Inside the door. Right. And of course, because it only locks from the outside, as soon as they go in, when those two guys catch up, they don't even open the door. They just fucking lock it behind them. It's efficient. It's it's totally efficient. And there's like some this 19... is where the fucking surmising begins, though. Surmising? They are just assuming everything. That That is the problem with found footage films, right? Like, they, you need the people on the camera to know everything, and occasionally they just have to figure things out. I or will we could say... just be vague, and we could just end it here with them finding a couple Russian logbooks, and we call it a day. But instead, they're like, oh, it's so much easier for them to just let us die than to even come in and shoot us all. And it's like, they hiked up a fucking mountain to kill you, and they're just going to turn back Nothing now. is easy at this point. <laughs> like, they climbed a mountain. What if those guys always stayed the mountain? The, the, the Magi and the Mummy, who are just constantly guarding Hamunaptra? It's not easy to live in the desert, but you do it because it's your duty. <laughs> like the Sphinx. What? 
What is the Sphinx even? All I know is that it asks riddles. It's ha well, there's different Sphinxes. There's the one. I want to know about the real Sphinx. <laughs> well, the OG Sphinx. <laughs> yeah. Ancient. They're just these like I don't know mythical guards. They're cats that they're with no noses. Right? Women half cat. Half human, half cat. Woman. Half woman, half cat. Sphinxes are all ladies, John. It's pretty hot. Not really. What? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and they're very smart. Well, it's because they, they ask riddles. I guess. I don't know what that's from. I think that's more modern. Oh. The Sphinx is the one that has no nose because it's fallen off, right? The actual sculpture, yeah, but not yeah. in real life. They actually have nose. Oh, I'm sure they did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, why do I say sculpture? Statue. Statue. Sculpture implies that it's small. It's quite huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So they're inside this bunker, and they find some information that leads them to believe real fast, like 15 seconds fast, that they're performing weird experiments in the bunker. Or at the very least, they were. Yes. Back, in fact, I think they were talking about... A la uh, war times. Yeah, like they were doing <laughs> uh, time travel experiments. Yes. Is a big thing. Like, they dropped, like, you heard of the Philadelphia experiment, right? And then the other guy's like, no. And he's like, okay, well, moving on. Like, <laughs> yeah, we are in rush mode as soon as we get in that bunker. These found footage movies are made for Googling. Like, all they do is like, <laughs> oh, did you hear it? They said Philadelphia experiment. I Googled it later. It's a real thing. Apparently, there was a garden. It's, it's all about you figuring the movie out yourself. So while this is happening, there one, there's the two main leads and then the hiker left. We have yeah. our two final characters and the hiker. Yeah. He's been shot. He's kind of wilting a little bit. And they're like, are you okay to walk? And he's like, yeah, totally. I'm doing great. And so they find out some things. 35 seconds has passed. He sits down. And then they're like, come on, next room. And he's like, I can't do it. I can't let me. It has literally been real lifetime, 30 seconds. Film time, several days. This man is gangrenous. <laughs> yeah, good point. What if time is elusive down in that bunker, Kim? Ugh, too many layers, John. This soup is too thick. I, what else happens? I feel like the bunker is way too much information. What I wanted was the end of Wreck, and what I got was Wreck times a billion with extra explanations that I didn't need. You know what I mean? That's a really good point, because in Record, uh, they find a room. Wreck. Okay. Uh, <laughs> they find a room where there is clearly something has been going on, and it seems as though it leads toward an explanation to what's happening above. But there's there's no time to research. There's no time to really look at it. You just get an impression that somebody's behind this. It's a man-made problem, and it's clearly the desired effect. But yes, <laughs> these people... They'd look at some files. They don't know a word of Russian, but they can figure it all out. Yeah, and then they end up... There's these weird time-traveling monsters all of a sudden that so start we, eating their friends. We don't know that they're time-traveling. We, we're skipping ahead a little bit. There are Sorry, two... they are able to, like, puff in and out of existence. Yeah. And they're monsters. And they are puffing around everywhere all over this bunker. They eat their friend. Mm -hmm. And then they're running away from them and they're puffing at them, but they don't attack them. And they puff them towards this other area and then they lock them in. And it's like Do a cave lock... with a wormhole. Do they lock them in? Or they lock themselves in. Yeah, Either no, way, they're locked into another area. It seems like they're area. being chased, but you're right. They don't attack. They, like, pick them up. They scream at them. They're, like, really howling. And, uh, you know, they, they fight off, get away, lock themselves in a, in a deep, dark hallway that has, like, yeah, a wormhole in it. Which they completely assume. They sit there for, like, a day and a half in the darkness, and then the one guy's like, definitely a wormhole. But I don't see any switches, so it's probably going to take us somewhere definitive. And we're just going to hop in it. And then they hop in it. And then, boom, we cut to their dead bodies in the snow. In 1959, at yeah. the original Devil's Pass incident. Surprise, surprise. They drag these two bodies in. We don't necessarily see them. Of course, you know, this 1950s guy doesn't necessarily understand a camera, but knows exactly where to point it. And, and it keeps it, it on the entire time. Yeah, we see when they string them up inside the bunker... They are now these creatures. They look exactly like the things that were chasing them in the bunker. And in fact, the creature has the same tattoo that the girl has. And that's the end of the movie. That's the end of the movie. So, naturally, you assume they're the two monsters that we see in the background of that previous scene where they're explaining, like, I've always had this dream that there's a door and there's something on the other side and I need to go see it. I need to be here. This is my destiny kind of conversation. But... How are those two fucking things chasing them in the snow if they're locked inside the bunker? I don't think those things are related. I think that's supposed to just be like another experiment. Really? Because these monsters in the snow are also real. So is the Yeti. Oh. I think it's just because they were white. And they Do you were think that all of Yeti. those 11 people, those nine people, the, the, the nine campers, 
all at some point, maybe in the future, had come from the future? Like, they time-traveled back? I don't think so, because they were saying that only two of them looked weird. I think maybe they got, like, radiation. In this theory of this movie, I think they got, like, radiation poisoning or something. Yeah. And they were they happened to be hiking in a zone where they did some tests, and then they were just fucked. I don't think the movie tries to answer what happened with Devil's Pass. I think that they're just trying to insinuate that they believe it to be due to Russian experiments. Yeah. As a result of, without necessarily being involved with. Yeah, in like the 40s and 50s, like atomic atomic power was a new thing. They were trying to do it lots with it. And, you know, naturally, like something could go wrong, including time travel. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, though, to take a true story and turn it into something kind of weirdly paranormal. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because this film was made with the support of Russia. It's got a lot of Russian film credits, and it's got a lot of um, film crew from Russia, so they definitely supported this film, which which is interesting because I don't think it's all that respectful of the initial incident. I think it's definitely interesting. I would love to see a drama made on the incident. That'd be cool. Ultimately depressing. Yeah, no, definitely depressing. It's hard, though. You, you really couldn't, though, because you don't really know anything. Yeah. So everything is fiction that you would tell in the story because you don't know what would happen. You'd be really good. It's weird, though, for it to be like, yeah, we're going to do a movie about this real-life incident, but it's going to be about monsters, though, so... What's what's strange about this movie is that when they time travel, they become monsters. Sure, we'll say that. But they also seem to be eternal. Do you, do you get the impression that they were locked in that bunker for 50, 70 years? I guess so. Or do they just puff into 2013? I assume that they puff in now. Out of what I don't think they exist in the same like plane that we do. Yeah, because they can clearly time travel. Yeah, but it seems like they can only travel. What are their motivations though? They're, are they smart? Like I think they're trying to warn them. I think they're trying to say don't go there or get the fuck out of here. But they don't have the words to do it, which is also strange. But I think ultimately they're trying to get them to not go in the room they eventually go into, which then dooms them to become the monsters they are now. Mm. That's also why I think. I didn't as get that children. time loop of smartness, though. Like, I didn't feel that at all. Well, as a kid, it. she has that dream about the door and how she she's compelled to go there. Mm-hmm. And it's something that she's drawn to. Because in that exact moment, there is another version of her that exists elsewhere in the world that is living. So it's almost like having an identical twin and the two of you share thoughts or share dreams or one of you gets hurt and the other one knows about it. Yeah. According to movies. And I think rather than seeing, rather than that actually being a, hey, you need to find this place, it's a, hey, avoid this fucking place at all costs, you just misinterpret the meaning. They just feel like puff monsters. I, yeah. I don't know. They, I don't, I didn't get any like don't go there vibes from them. I got like I'm gonna eat your friend vibes. Yeah. And then they did eat. And then they did eat their friend vibes. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me a lot of this really cool short story by Stephen King called The Jaunt which I think is actually being turned into a short or a film or a TV show or something. Something. I heard it being adapted is what it comes down to. The Jaunt is brilliant. It's essentially the entire thing takes place inside an airport you know quote unquote it is a teleportation port rather than planes now we use teleportation but you have to travel through backwards and you have to keep your eyes closed as you go and while they're waiting in line this father is explaining to his son how it works what it does and why you can't travel forwards or open your eyes and the father goes through you know he basically you know talks his son into it like don't worry everything's gonna be fine you're gonna be okay I'll be on the other side waiting for you and the dad goes through everything's cool and all of a sudden there's alarm bells things are going wrong and this mutated creature comes through and it's just hideous and deformed and it's just this glob of a person and he looks at his dad he goes it was beautiful father like it's like oh my god he opened his eyes while he went through and it was the most incredible thing he's ever seen but he came through like this disgusting creature and he dies fuck that's good oh it was so goddamn good i am moved by your (laughs) shitty retelling of it here's the thing though it was like fucking 80 pages long wow I i was a kid when i read it i think it was in skeleton cruise so i'm sure it was short but as a kid i remember being in insufferably long. That sounds great. Talking about the inventor and how he sent mice through and there was this problem and that problem and the inventor's wife was cheating on him and she smelled exactly like this type of charcoal. (laughs) Whatever, Stephen King, we get it. You're on cocaine. It's fine. (laughs) Do you think he types with only two fingers? (laughs)
I do now. It's a great thing to picture. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so what's your rating of this film? Give this movie a 2 out of 4. It's pretty good. I'm going to give it a 2 out of 4 as well. Yeah. I thought the ending was a little bogus. It's down the middle. But <laughs> it's found footage. It's It was enjoyable. I love traveling found footage. I have a real soft spot for traveling found footage. Traveling makes for a really good horror film because you throw your protagonists out of their element. And this one had out of your element on a mountain. It just got a little weird once things got hairy. And I think it tried to tell us too much of the story and sometimes less is more. If we came out wondering what was happening and had to watch it again to get it, I think that would have been better. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it missed that element. There was of... no mystery left because they yeah. over-explained yeah, yeah, yeah. and they assumed a lot of the answers for us. And I want to do some thinking. But in a world where content is so disposable, don't you think you sometimes have to do it? They could have got two watches out of me, but they're only getting one now. But there's no guarantee that the viewer will actually watch it twice. They might watch it once and go, eh, fuck it, wasn't good. Versus, I, don't know. I know, it's it's a bit of a gamble. I do want more mystery. I want to, I want my movies to be like onions. I want layers. I want to peel back things. And I think find this especially more. would have benefited from being a little bit more vague. Yeah, totally. It's about a mystery. It can end in some mystery. <laughs> yeah, I think two is maybe a generous rating, but I I liked it. It was good, and it's probably just because it was. Fast. It's a fun watch, too. Found footage is always like a really good popcorn movie. I think you can always watch a found footage and leave feeling like you haven't wasted your time. Totally. Whether they're bad or good, you can kind of enjoy yourself regardless because it's shitty, trashy horror, and sometimes it's good, trashy horror, so... So which movie wins? It sounds like The Last Winter is our winner. All right. By a .5 rating groovy but we want to hear from you guys head to twitter right now at nofs podcast and vote on our poll let us know what you thought of both films did you like devil's pass more or the last winter as well a few short weeks before christmas we do have our very own nightmare on film street stay creepy christmas sweater we also got toques and hoodies and tees Take a look at it at store.nofspodcast.com. Get yourself a little something to stay creepy this holiday season. And support the show. Of course. But that's it from us this week. Stay Stay creepy. creepy. And warm. Stay warm. And warm also. Yeah, it's pretty fucking cold out there. Don't get naked in the tent. Oh, God. (laughs) It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends.